How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? I'm doing pretty good, and uh, got a funnel episode to do. So, we, we do. let's get into it. Yeah, so, today's episode is our 2021 Hockey Hall of Fame wishlist episode. So, about this time, or just a little after last year, we did our list for the 2020 Hockey Hall of Fame class. Now, the real reason that we're getting together today to do the 2021 Hall of Fame wish list is because this coming Wednesday, the 2020 Hockey Hall of Fame class will be announced. It's kind of a busy Hockey Wednesday for the middle of June, eh? Because uh, a few days after that, we get uh, the draft lottery. Oh, I know. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I think that's been something that I've been super excited for and super looking forward to because we will finally know where we finally land in the draft, whether we get a Byfield, a Lafreniere, possibly both. That's not the point. The point is we're going to find out where we land in that draft and where our future is going to take us now for the next several years. Yeah. And it's kind of nerve-wracking, but at the same time, there's nothing you can do but sit and wait. That's true. Now, talking about waiting, Tim, I feel that because we haven't really... I think we've been away for about a week now, so i got to ask the all-important question, man. How has your week been since we last chatted? Honestly, uh, same old, same old. Uh, weather's actually turned up pretty nice in Calgary, so uh, hopefully be able to do more walks and stuff. Although, uh, last week it was just kind of windy and miserable. We were supposed to get another one of those crazy storms Saturday, but or Sunday, and I just never it never came around downtown. So I guess we just lucked out. Yeah, that's funny because I remember we were talking about this last week, and you were saying that the storm didn't even hit downtown. Yeah, well, you have to remember that Calgary itself, like the sorry, the city itself is huge. You know how it took us like uh, twenty minutes to get from like the airport to downtown, just gonna get on the highway. Give or take, yeah. The city goes further north than the airport. And then uh, this downtown's about halfway. That there's quite a bit more south. That's insane, man. I mean, I'm not surprised given how big Calgary is, but the fact is, like you're saying, right? Like, Calgary is much, much, much bigger, so certain areas will be hit first rather than just downtown. Yeah, or just not at all. So I probably could talk a little bit about my week because, like I, like usual, I'm not really up to too, too much. I finally got an email this past week about when we're finally going back, and it looks like September. We're officially going back for the first week of the school year, and I'm going to be talking to my boss here this week anyway to talk about the contract for this year. And outside of that, I got a chance to see some family this week who I haven't really had a chance to see in a little while, so that was always a good time. And nice. Yeah, you know, just keeping her low-key, you know. Got a chance to see my dad yesterday, so that was really good. Also saw my grandfather, and everybody's doing good. They're still alive, still kicking. No COVID cases in our family as of this point. So, <laughs> at the moment, we're doing pretty good, man. We're doing pretty good over here. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's a bit tougher out here because, uh, well, Calgary does have a bit of a bigger caseload, so, and, well, we don't live near our family anyway, so it is just kind of us in the apartment. But uh, that's what uh, the internet and Skype calls and that sort of thing are for. Yeah. So are you saying it's just not me that you're calling on Skype, Tim? 
pretty much. So, Tim, without further ado, let's get into our 2021 Hockey Hall of Fame wish list. So, for the last couple of years, how we've done these episodes is that it's very simple. We've gone from one to five and ranked the players. Now, in the first couple of years that we were doing this, we would do most likely to least likely. And I believe last year was the first year we decided on a different format where picks one, two, and three will be players. Pick number four will be a builder. Pick number five will be a longtime snub. And for this year, we're not going to do a sixth pick because it's honestly, there was just a lot of work that had to go into this. So we I, we just decided we should do the top five. And given that our top three is exactly the same, we're going to kind of do what we did with our top five sense players, especially for the first and second pick that we had because we just talked about the player itself. Now we're going to start off at number one. Now this player is a first year eligibility and without question, this is the easiest slam dunk first ballot hall of hall of fame ballot player given that not only is he the most productive european player of all time but he is also widely considered to be one of the greatest hockey players of all time and that of course yarmir yager so yager went on to play 24 seasons in the national hockey league with nine different teams pittsburgh washington the new york rangers philadelphia dallas boston new jersey florida and calgary recording 1,921 points in 1,733 games while ranking in the top two for overtime goals, game winners, even strength goals, and shots on goal while ranking in the top five in goals and games played, as well as assists. What's insane is uh, he probably would have been willing to go longer, too, if a team would have taken him. That is true, but also I feel that, you know, and we were talking about, like, his 1,900 points. Keep in mind... He took three years off from the National Hockey League. If, there, yeah. if he had not taken those three years off, he easily would have gotten to 2,000. There's no question. Hmm. Yeah, and it was just kind of one of the... I remember like him taking the time off from the NHL just kind of coming out of the blue, eh? Pretty much, because he had a really productive season in the 07-08 season with the Rangers, and then he just stopped and decided that, yeah, you know, I want to go back to Europe and or in this case in the KHL, play for three seasons. But, you know, his love for the North America and the NHL, you couldn't keep him away for very long because he did come back and he played a number of years. Now, as I said around the top, as I said, he is one of the biggest no-brainers for a first ballot Hall of Famer, and not just because he put up a lot of points, not because he put up played a lot of seasons, but throughout his career, this guy was a numerous award winner. Now, here's a list of the awards he won. Two Stanley Cups in 91-92. Five Art Ross trophies, including four straight from 1998 to 2001. Three Lester Beer Pearson Awards in 99, 2000, 2006. And he was also the Hart Trophy winner in 1999. He was named to 13 All-Star Games, including seven first team. He holds over 20 NHL records, as well as 31 records with the Pittsburgh Penguins and six with the New York Rangers. And this is also a very... Fun fact, Tim, as of this recording, he is still the only player eligible in the, for the Hockey Hall of Fame that is still actively playing in the Czech Republic. He's still going, goddamn. Yeah, so it's, uh, the man is pushed almost 50. And he's still going. Yeah, it's definitely someone who, it's a no-brainer. Be really hard-pressed to make a case against Yager coming in. Exactly, and you got to realize Yarmer Yager, after Mario Lemieux retired and just after Wayne Gretzky retired, 
without question, Yarmir Yager was the best player in the National Hockey League. You know, when I, like I said, the guy won four straight scoring titles. He was the league MVP, three Lester Beer Pearson Awards. And the only thing that really stopped him from being the greatest for longer was the fact that guys like Crosby and Ovechkin and later Evgeny Malkin came into the NHL. Mm-hmm. And even then, he was he was still putting up a lot of points. Like, even up until, like, in that 05-06 season, the first Crosby, he put up 123 points. 06-07-96. Yeah. Like, those are nutso numbers. Yeah, in that 05-06 season, he still holds the record for most goals, I believe, by right winger for the New York Rangers, as well as most points by New York Ranger in the same year. Yeah. You have to wonder if, like, point totals like that are, are even going to see that in a modern NHL. I don't think so. And, I mean, you know, you can look through a lot of the NHL records, most notably Glenn Hall. I think it's like 524 straight games. Like, that record is so out there. That will never be broken just because teams now carry more than one goaltender. And when he made that record in back in the 50s and 60s, the NHL, those teams only carried one goalie at a time. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, no argument that Yarmir Yager is well deserves his place in the hall and will get it on his first shot. So we're gonna move on to our second pick. Also, now, it's kind of funny that out of the players that like a lot of all the players that were taken ahead of Yarmir Yager did have fairly productive careers, but just not on that level. Holy crap. No, but the thing is, and you you often got to wonder where he would have been taken to the draft and he told those teams, if you draft me, I'll come over. Because if you recall, Pittsburgh was the only team he told that to. Everybody else, he said, yeah, you can draft me if you want, but I'm not coming over. Yeah, that is kind of funny. But, it's, yeah, it's like Owen Nolan. Like, all those other players did have good careers, like Owen Nolan and uh, Keith Primo in particular. Mm-hmm. So moving on to our second pick, Tim. Now, one thing about these draft list or these Hockey Hall of Fame wish list episodes is that we never put any rules for duplicates. Now, both of these players are first-year eligibility for 2021, and there was some chatter online whether they were going to be first Bell Hall of Famers because if you look at terms of individual awards, neither player has won much although both did win the Hart and Art Ross in 2010 and 2011, respectively. They have two Olympic medals, one gold in 2006 and a silver in 2014. Neither of them have won the Stanley Cup, despite going there in 2011. And that, of course, is Daniel Henderson. Honestly, the story that got both of them into the same city in the first place is one that deserves to be at the Hall in its own right. That sounds like it's something straight out of, like, NHL 2000. That story, really, that's up there for draft day stories of just craziness and the story surrounding it. In hockey, you know, you have that one. You have the Eric Lindros one. But if you look at North American sports, you have the Henrik and Daniel one, Lindros, the New Orleans Saints throwing. Like, and I'm talking every single draft pick they had, plus an extra first rounder to get a running back named Ricky Williams. So I think that's a really cool story. Now, talking about Daniel Henrik Sedin, despite everything I was talking about right off the bat, both players have over have 1,000 points in their career, with Henrik having 29 more. Both men have played 1,300 games, all of Vancouver. Both have played in three All-Star games. Daniel played in 2011, 2012, and 2016. And Henrik played in 2008, 2011, and 2012. 
again, really the only thing that can hold them back is that lack of a cup. It is a lack of a cup, but I also think because they did so many things without a lot of flash. Like, they weren't out there. They weren't the most vocal guys in the world. They were just these soft-spoken Swedish guys who just went out there, did their job, put up points, and were beloved by the fans. And that's the one thing, because if you look through the history of the Canucks, when you talk about the greatest players, you know, the Pavel Burry's come up, the Marcus Naslin's come up, even more recently, the Roberto Luongo's come up, Daniel Henrik Sedin are right there with those groups. But when you talk about people talking about the Canucks, I I don't want to say that their names don't generally come up, but I think if you were to ask a later generation coming up, who's the greatest players of the Canucks, I really don't know if Daniel Henrik Sedin would be mentioned. You know, honestly, I think they would, because when you look at those Canucks teams, uh, especially around... Uh, like in and around 2010, where the Canucks were a force in the Western Division, sorry, in the Western Conference, it was Henrik and Daniel leading the way. Like the D, like the D line was kind of covered in question marks, other than Alex Edler and uh, Kevin Bieksa. You had Kessler and Burroughs were kind of your supporting offensive cast. Yeah, it's funny you say that, Tim, because when I think of the the 2009, the 2010, the 2011 Canuck teams. If you look at regular season-wise, yes, Daniel Henrik are the ones that you will instantly think of because they were the top scorers. But overall, those aren't the players I think of. I think of the Luongos, the Kesslers, the Bieksas, the Burrows, guys like that who... I'm not saying they did more than Henrik, outside of maybe River Luongo, who stole some games from the Canucks. But you look at how they played, and you look at the fact that the media attention seemed to be shined more on them, whereas Hendrick and Daniel, when it shined on them, it was like, yeah, it's just what I do on the ice, not what I do off of it. That's fair enough, but even in the playoffs, Hendrick and Daniel led the way. Like, uh, their leading goal scorer, Daniel and Burroughs were the leading goal scorers, and Hendrick was ahead in assists, but he had almost 20 assists. Like, offensively, they led the way. True, but when I look back on those playoff years, I mean, the only thing that really comes to mind is not so much their offensive production. It was the fact that when they went up against teams like L.A. and most notably Chicago, those teams played so differently against those guys. And, you know, go back to those years. Watch guys like Dustin Bufflin just run right through them. Because the that's the one that was probably the one criticism Daniel Hendrick had on them was their lack of physicality. And especially when you got into the playoffs where, like I said, teams tend to play a much more physical style. And I think at times Daniel and Hendrick were, that was maybe the one flaw against them was that their lack of physicality in their game. Sure. But at the same time, they produced. Yeah, I'm not, like, I'm not questioning their production at all, but I'm saying when I look back on those years, that's immediately what I think of. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, let's go on to our third pick because, you know, this is a guy that I'm not going to lie. I had a really, really, really hard time seeing him going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Not just because he's an eighth, his eligibility, he's in his eighth year now, but also because when you really look at him and you look at his production, yes, the numbers are there, but he doesn't have the individual awards. 
And the best thing that happened for him was the introduction of Guy Carbonell last year, which I'm still fucking mad about. And I feel that with Guy Carbonell going in, the door got kicked wide open for him. And that, of course, is Rod Brandemore. It's funny because I had this right down the line between uh, Rod Brindamore and Henrik Zetterberg. And the thing that really surprised me is I didn't realize that Henrik Zetterberg never got to 1,000 points. And that's funny because, and you and I were talking about this before we hit record, Tim, is that I thought he was eligible for the Hockey Hall of Fame this year, and it turned out he was eligible for 2021 instead. Yeah, and it was a tough choice because, like, Rod the Bod, he has... 1,100 points in 1,400 games, while Henrik Zetterberg has uh, 960 in about 1,100. And, like, it's interesting, because you really think Henrik Zetterberg is kind of that really creative, offensively creative and kind of dominant center. I didn't realize he just his points just weren't as there as I thought they were. But well, the well, different, like, Rod the Bod just has a definitely a long-standing career, and I think the his coaching career so far just adds another level to that. You know, it's funny. We were talking last week when we were doing our episode, there's a YouTuber I watch called Grifflix. I, I think at the moment, I think he changed his name to whatever it is now. And he was talking about Rod Brendamore, the head coach. And he was just saying in the, one of his videos, he says, you know, I've never played an or game of organized hockey ever in my life, but after you heard Rod Brendamore po- post game, I totally want to run through a brick wall for him. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Rod, because Brendan Moore was one of these guys that when he was in the NHL, he was considered to be one of the best shutdown centers in the NHL. Went on to play 20 seasons in the NHL, recording 1,184 points in 1,484 games with three teams, the St. Louis Blues, Philadelphia Flyers, and most notably with the Carolina Hurricanes, where he won the Stanley Cup in 2006. He went on to also win two Selkie trophies as best defensive forward in 2006 and 2007. Played in the 90s two All-Star game and, like I said, won the Stanley Cup with the Hurricanes. Now, you know what's a kind of funny thing is we do think about Rod Brindamore as a defensive center. But he had the most goals on that Stanley Cup winning Carolina playoff run. That is crazy. But, you know, when you go back and look at that 06 Hurricanes team, on paper, they were far from the best team you've ever seen. It's funny because <laughs> you have to agree. Like, yeah, outside of like Eric Stahl, Justin Williams, Britt DeBoer, and uh, Mark Recchi, who did they really have? Uh, they had Doug Waite. Dougie Waite was well, they had Andrew Ladd, Mike Commodore. Yep, uh, a young Cam Ward. Yeah, Corey Stillman in his prime. But yeah, it was just kind of a weird a young Andrew lad. So it's just kind of a bizarre team. It is, but, you know, you can look at the flip side and look at that 2006 Edmonton team, too. Because on paper, they actually looked much better than the Hurricanes because they had Chris Pronger in his prime. They had Mike Pekka, who arguably was maybe the one guy that rivaled Rod Brendamore as one of the best shutdown centers in the league. You had... Ryan Smith, you had a young Alex Hemsky, you had Jarrett Stold, you had Rafi Torres, you had some really... And Rolly the goalie, too. Yeah, Dwayne Rolson. You had some really young guys and guys like Dwayne Rolson that really came out of nowhere and got hot to get them to the finals. Like, it's just such a bizarre team. 
that whole 2006 Stanley Cup Finals was just weird because, you know, we were just coming out of that 0405 lockout. The team the salary cap came in. The salary cap came in. But you know what? And it's funny we were talking when we talked with Bruce Firestone a few weeks ago. We were talking about Gary Bettman, and you know, for all the criticism Gary gets, I still maintain Gary and the NHL implementing a salary cap. The one thing it really helped. It helped these smaller market teams and these teams with cap issues. It helped them out huge. Like, look at the Oilers. Look at the Hurricanes. Look at the Sabers. I mean, you could even look at Ottawa for a certain to a certain extent, right? Like, we were able to, you know, really beef up our team for two thousand seven. For sure, and it's actually one of the things about the salary cap that is really funny is just, I think a lot of people when they think salary cap, they think oh the big it's to stop big market teams from running away with it by just paying people a bunch of money. That didn't seem to really be a thing that worked in the NHL. Because, like, your Torontos and Montreals didn't do it. No, and I think the one thing that I think coming out of the lockout, teams tend to... Team, certain teams really didn't know what direction or what really to do with the salary cap. Because if you look at the teams coming out of the lockout... Like like you said, Montreal and Toronto didn't really do anything. Philadelphia was still in this old school mindset of, yeah, we need these big bruising defenders to just bully teams. And then they went out and got guys like, I can't remember if it was Kevin or Darren Hatcher. They went out and got Mike Ricci. They went out or um, Mike Rathge. They went out and got these big bruising guys and they ended up in last place. Oh, yeah. Like it was they had like their 2006-2007 uh, uh, 22 win series season. Yeah, and that was a so, team that had Peter Forsberg on it. How how does that happen? Well, I mean Forsberg was injured, but fair enough. Well, they like that team. If you look at it, it's not even on paper. It's not even that bad. Like you had Jeff Carter, Simone Gagne, Mike Newble, yeah, Mike Richards. But it was just like everything else was just not that. Oh. Uh, Senators legend Alexander Picard. Oh yes, Captain Picard. I remember him. <laughs> but you know what's funny? And you're talking about teams that they had these huge budgets and they could run away. And I don't think the salary cap really was a big issue for teams like the Rangers, who annually would throw what a hundred million dollars at everybody and would end up like last place in their division every year. Oh yeah, because Glenn Sazer finished his shopping day one. Yep. Yeah, because, I mean, you look at from, let's see here, I would say from, like, 97, 98 until the salary cap came in, think of all the money that got thrown around and how little they got in return. They brought in the Burrays, they brought in the Flurries, they brought in the Lindrosses, you know, the Bobby Holik and his $9 million per year. <laughs> I forgot about that. However, on the flip side, with the salary cap... The Rangers just continued to throw money, but they did. They were a bit smarter with some of the signings they did. Most notably, they brought in Yarmer Yager. Like, that paid off huge for them. Yeah. They were able to have a very young Henrik Lundqvist on their team. They brought in some really key players. And then they decided, hey, you know what would be great? Wade Red. Let's throw hey. all the money at him. On paper, that seemed like a good idea. No, it wasn't. He was declining by that time. Like even Actually, fair. Ottawa wasn't even willing to pay him that. And I think, and you know, we, we're not going to have to go into that whole thing with who would we have kept, Radnor Chara? 
the fact that Chara is still playing, that's a pretty big good indicator. indicator. Yeah. But at the same time, they did find a creative way to get rid of his salary. Mm-hmm. And now we can't do that anymore. Well, that's not true. Ottawa was uh, circumventing the cap the last couple of years. Eh, fair enough. Yeah. One final thing about Rod Brindmore before we go on into the builders category is that Rod Brindmore actually holds a Philadelphia Flyers franchise record for most consecutive games played with 484. I wonder if we're, I guess for skaters, maybe it's easier to see these sort of Iron Man streaks because just the fitness level of these players is insane. Yeah, because I was trying to think, was it, uh, was it Horkoff or Cogliano that had the most recent Iron Man streak? Uh, I think it was Cogliano. Yeah, I think, I think it was. I think you're right. I think it was Cogliano. It's amazing what some of these guys are built out of, too. Like, uh, like Boro being built out of frickin' Kevlar. I know, and then he finally found a way to put the puck in the net. Yeah. But, uh, no, Rob the Bod, uh, I think he gets in. I think part of it is just because the twenty the 2021 class doesn't seem too strong either. No, it, you know? do- it doesn't. But you know what? The, the nice thing about it is, is maybe 2021 with the more watered-down talent that is eligible, maybe they'll finally look into the long-term snubs and say, maybe we'll bring in a Fleury, a, a McGillney, guys like that. Yeah. So, Tim, we're going to turn our attention to the fourth pick for the Builders category. Now, I am going to let you go with your pick for the Builders category. This is going to be pretty off the wall, and uh, please hold your comments about me being a corporate shill till the end. So, about 15 years ago, a little competition started on the CBC hosted by a cheese company, Kraft Hockeyville. Since then, Kraft Hockeyville has, uh, every year they go into these, they go into communities and uh, they get statements about why they love hockey and uh, how they play hockey in ways that Kraft can support the community playing hockey, uh, be it upgrading the arena, doing critical repairs, that sort of thing. And most importantly, they bring an NHL preseason game to these towns. And a lot of these really tiny places that, uh, frankly, a lot of these players, if they didn't grow up there, would never go. And it's just this really, really cool way of uh, getting communities a chance to interact with their hockey idols and to really feel good about that craft dinner you just ate. And uh, the person who kind of is credited with bringing it all together is a Canadian comedian and uh, Fort Langley, BC native, Harry Dupe. Uh, among other things he's done, he's opened for a weird at Ali Yankovic during his Running With Scissors tour, and he produced and hosted the first year of Kraft Hockeyville. This is actually a very interesting pick, Tim, and, and I... I am a big supporter of the Craft Hockeyville. I think they do a lot of great stuff for those communities they go to. And the one comment that you made about where they get these ex-NHLers to go to these towns they didn't grow up in, one thing that I think Craft has really done a good job is, is when they do take the the tour to towns, say, like, a, well, in Ontario or up in, say, Prince Edward Island, is that they actually get, say, a Paul Bizanet or Brad Richards. They get somebody from that community to be with them. Mm. Or, 
or they just go and get Alan Doyle from Great Big C. <laughs> I honestly believe that. I think when I see Alan Doyle in those, I honestly believe that Alan Doyle was just walk, walking by one day, and they're like, hey, Alan, do you want to be a part? Okay. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised because a lot of those, there's a lot of Canadian performers, it's, hockey was a, a way of life for them on top of the, like, as, on top of the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's actually really funny just looking over some of the communities that were involved with uh, Hockeyville, and I've either lived in a few of them or uh, or at least been to the arena. Like, for instance, uh, the first one, uh, the NHL exhibition game was held in Colchester, the Colchester Legion Stadium in Truro, Nova Scotia, which is... this Truro's a tiny little town. It's mostly known for... If you're going to Halifax on the Transcanada, you turn off at Truro. I believe that uh, Jonathan Torrens actually lives there nowadays. In really? Yeah, so, so, yeah. But uh, when uh, my older brother used to play hockey, sometimes we'd have to go up to Truro. So it's cool. It's like, oh, that's the stadium that got the, the Hope Depot stuff. Yeah, and then I think uh, Cowichan was actually involved with uh, Hockeyville one of these years. They were, and actually it was funny where it was held. It was held in the parking lot of the Aquatic Center here in town, right across from Cow High. And I was actually working out that day that 5440 was playing a concert there, and I just happened to walk by. I was like, oh, that's 5440. And I continued walking away. Because I know for that year, and it's funny, Duncan is one of these towns because we have NHLers that are from the area. Like Doug Bodgers is from Shimana's. Uh, Greg Corky Adams is from Duncan. You could have gotten, say, one of the Cortinals who's from Vic- Actually, well, I think Jeff Cortinal was born here in Duncan, so you could have gotten him. But I know that for the that year, they actually got Brendan Morrison to sign autographs for the fans. That's actually really cool. And it's interesting how often it comes to the island because I know uh, Panorama won it too. So, uh, North Saanich. They did, and it's funny that the year they won that, I was actually going to go to that, but I started my job where I am now. And then one morning I came in, and one of my coworkers who doesn't work with us anymore, she goes, oh, Tay, I'm surprised you didn't go to that Croft Hockeyville thing last night. And I was like, yeah, I know I would have, but you know, I couldn't go. She goes, and I went, well, why do you ask? She says, well, Don Cherry and Ron McLean were there. And I was like, what? Grapes was there? Oh, I could have met that guy. It would have been weird. I guarantee you that. Honestly, if I had ever met Ron McLean, I would have looked at Grapes and like, hey, Grapes, it's great to see you brought Rick Mercer with you. <laughs> Another interesting thing, and uh, tying this back to the the fact that we are an Ottawa Senators podcast, is the Sens end up playing these hockey bill games a lot. They did, because I think it was... Uh, well, they played in the first one. eighteen nineteen. I remember that we, you know, when Dorian made the we're a, we're a team comment... They were doing that Kraft Hockeyville pregame, uh, yeah, the pregame or preseason game that yeah. night. Well, they played they played it the they played it the previous year as well. They played the inaugural game, and I think they played a few others too. Uh, oh, they played a makeup game in Belleville, Ontario, because of the lockout. So yeah, it's, uh, the Senators seem to be implicated in this pretty frequently. Yeah, take that, everybody else. So, Tim, I think that's a really interesting pick you have for number four. Now, the person I have for number four, and this is something I couldn't find any information on 
when somebody who is either an owner or part of management or head coach, there, there was no specific guidelines on how many years they have to be employed or working in the NHL for them to be eligible. But after a while, I was thinking about that. I was like, you know, because one thing that we talked about on our third season, our third line, is that we were talking about the Chicago Blackhawks being the team of the 2010s. And I feel for my number four pick for the builder, it has to go to the current Blackhawks owner, Rocky Wirtz. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, uh, last week, uh, we really got, kind of got into, I don't want to say a passion discussion, but it was a really big discussion just about how much of an investment Rocky Wirtz made into the Chicago team and even the area around uh, the arena compared to his father. Exactly, and when he took over ownership from his dad following his dad's death in 2007, you have to understand where the Blackhawks were and how far they've come since that time because just a few years before Rocky took over, the Blackhawks were voted the worst franchise in sports by ESPN in 2004. Blackhawk home games were not televised unless they were picked up by national broadcasters, which only happened during the playoffs. And I believe it, and I know at one time they had a pay-per-view service which broadcast home games for $30 a month. You also got to look at the fact that franchise icons like Bobby Hall and Stan Makita were not on good terms with the team. The Blackhawks itself were averaging 11 to 12,000 people a night. And even the AHL, I don't know if they were the AHL affiliate, uh, the Chicago Wolves, their model for the 04 or 05 season was we play hockey the Blackhawks way, except we actually win. Oh, Jesus. So when Rocky took over, he began to undo some of his father's policies. He negotiated with the then-known Comcast Sportsnet Chicago to televise home games. He reconciled with Hall and Makita. He did something his father never did, which he spent money to make the Blackhawks a better team. And he made a really great hire when he hired former Chicago Cubs president John McDermott as president of the Blackhawks. Now, since taking over, you like I said, you've got to realize how far the Blackhawks have come. Since he's come and he's taken over the team, the Chicago Blackhawks are three-time Stanley Cup champions, 2010, 2013, 2015, three division titles, and two first-place finishes in the Western Conference. Yeah, that's just that's an amazing transformation. And the fact that it happened in such a little amount of time, well, I, to be fair... Two guys by the name of Taves and Kane definitely helped. Yep, and we also can't forget that the Elder Words was owner when Kane was drafted, Taves was drafted, Duncan Keith was drafted, Brent Seabrook was drafted. But the one thing that Rocky was essentially handed a very young core, but the one great thing he did is that he went out, and like I said, he went out and spent money to make the Blackhawks better. Like, he went out and he signed Marion Hossa, he went out and you know, brought in those kind of guys to build a great team around the Tains and the Caves in that team. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that definitely helps is you have, like, it's paying money to make money is how to evangelicalize the brand a bit. Because you have this brand that just, no, it's talking, nobody wants to touch it. And then he's just like, hey, we actually have a, we have a pretty good team here. Come watch the game. Yeah, I think of Rocky Wirtz in the same way and going to American football. I look at them in the same way as the Dallas Cowboys when Jerry Jones took over. Because when Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys in the late 80s, 
they were a last place team. I'm not saying the fans didn't show up because the fans have been greatly, greatly supported in Dallas. But when you look at how far they came following him, like he won three Super Bowls, they have Hall of Famers left and right. And I feel the same way about Rocky Words with the Blackhawks. Although I don't think anyone will call the Blackhawks Blackhawks America's team, even though they probably were the most successful team in the 2010s. Oh, without question. So, Tim, for the fifth pick for the longtime snub, who do you have on your list? Every year until it happens, Daniel Alfredson. Which could be Wednesday, which could be Wednesday, by the way. Could be Wednesday, by the way. The only thing Daniel Alfredson is missing is the damn cup, and the Senators came damn close. Daniel Alfredson has over 1,000 points. He won a gold medal with Sweden in... uh, the 2006 Olympics in Turin, but y'all knew that. The Probably the biggest thing that I think is going in Alfredson's favor is the fact that he was the longest tenured captain of one hockey team, serving, I believe it was 14 years as captain of the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, I think he was the... I don't think he's the longest serving. He's one of the longer serving captains, though. Fair enough. Well, because you got to realize, because Sidney Crosby has been captain right. since 2006. Stevie Y was captain for over 20 years in Detroit. But Alfredson's... And I think um, Matt Sundin was also captain, I think, for about a decade there in Toronto, too. Mm. But, like, I think uh, if you think of a player that's meant something to an individual franchise, I don't think you'll find anything... Find anyone more than it. Like, Daniel Alfredson meets to the Ottawa Senators, especially when he was given the key to the city in 2016. And we also can't forget he was inducted into the Ottawa Sports Hall of Fame as well. Mm-hmm. He also has quite a bit of hall- hardware, including the Calder in 95-96, a Messier, and a Clancy. And you know, it, it's funny. When you look at Alfredson's rookie of the year win in 96, you look at the rookies that were coming in. They had the Brian Berards, the Eric Dazes, guys like that who I think when you look back on the 90s, those are more names that you might forget about. But I think what really actually helped Daniel Alfredson in the long run and why I feel he actually went on to win the rookie there, not only just because he put up the most points rookie, but because if you look back at that 95-96 season, two things that really stick out. Number one, Alexi, Alexi Ashin wasn't playing. He was a holdout. And Alexander Dagg was injured the entire season. Yeah. So really, all of the offensive focus went on to this young Swedish player named Daniel Alfredson was drafted pretty darn late, by the way. 133. So it's just kind of insane that you have this six-round pick just comes in, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to put the team on my back, and away he goes. And it is interesting, just the other players that were at the Calder race that year included some pretty famous names like Ed Jovanotsky, Todd Bertuzzi, Miroslav Satan, Peter Sikora. So, and Saka Koivu. So it's not like it was, it's not as if it was kind of a gimme year for Albertson either. It wasn't at all, but the thing is, when you look at a lot of those guys, I think Jovanovski might have been the only player that logistically could have challenged Albertson for the Rookie of the Year, given that the Panthers did go on to the Stanley Cup Finals that year. But I think because of what Albertson was able to do as a sixth-round pick, on a team where their two star players weren't even in the lineup at all. Yeah. I don't disagree. 
Yeah. Actually, talking a little bit about the Sens, and I know that you and I were talking, I think I commented with you on this on Twitter, is that the lease between the between Canadian Tire and the Sens for naming rights actually I think is coming up in 2021. And I love that Steve on Sens put a whole thread about what the team's or the arena's name was going to be. And I love that I commented it's at Burgers and Fries Forever Center. Drop that one, didn't you? Come on, it was funny. I, I laughed. Okay, fair enough. It's tasty at burgers, though. So, Tim, I really, really do like your pick for number five, and as you should, as I should, and I'm not gonna deny that. However, I think the reason I didn't put him at number five is because the same way I put him didn't put him on last year is because I felt that he was for sure going in, but. You know, on Wednesday, we're going to find out if Alfredson is officially a Hockey Hall of Famer. And I guess if he does go in, uh, Alexander McGillney. Alamo? Yeah, Alamo would be a good one. So, Tim, for my fifth pick and my pick for the longtime snub, and we're going to talk about a teammate of Alexander McGillney's during his time with the Buffalo Sabres. So, in doing this list, there were a handful of longtime snubs I had in mind, only to find out they were already inducted into the Hall of Fame, like Bob Cole, for example. And I decided for my longtime snub, I decided to go with a player who holds the distinction of being the highest scoring NHL player, not in the Hall of Fame. And that, of course, is Pierre Turgeon. Pierre Turgeon is one of these guys who proves that you can be drafted first overall. You can record over 1,000 points, 1,327 exactly, and not even be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well, what's insane is this guy had more points than games played he did i mean think about it the guy played 19 seasons in the nhl with six teams the buffalo sabers new york islanders montreal canadians st louis blues dallas stars and Colorado avalanche and i also said he recorded 1300 points in 1294 games including a career high 58 goals 74 assists for 132 points in the 92-93 season with the new york islanders he was selected to five All-Star games, won the Lady Bang Trophy, you know, uh, Lady Bang, whatever, in 1995. And when talking about Pierre Turgeon, there's a lot of things that hold him back from being inducted to the Hall of Fame. And as a lot of players, like the Keith the Chucks, like the, uh, you know, the Chris Osgoods, guys like this, there's a lack of individual awards. Turgeon doesn't have a Stanley Cup. But I think... And no medal. No medals. Although... He did play in the World Juniors for the punch-up in uh, Peninsula, I think it was called. The one where Canada and Russia had the big brawl at the World Juniors and they both got disqualified. Right. Yeah, he was a part of that team. But I think for me, and this is more my personal take on it, I think the reason why he's not in the Hall of Fame is because during that time, if you go back and look at his career, he put up a lot of points, he put up a lot of goals, a couple of things that really hold him back. I think the fact that he was playing in smaller market teams like the Sabres, like the Islanders, and he was playing with one of the Southern teams, the Dallas Stars, but also because he was greatly overlooked as a French-Canadian superstar in a time where Mary Lemieux was the French-Canadian superstar. And it's funny because you and I were talking about this before we hit record. That 92-93 season when he put up 132 points, anybody would have said, that's amazing. That is fantastic. Mario Lemieux came along and says, Bitch, I missed 20 games with cancer and I came back and won the scoring title. Did you do that? No. And 
that's the thing is if stuff like that's happening around you even the impre- like the impressive stuff is going to look less so yeah and it's and just- like you're playing in an era with uh Mark Messier, Matt Sandin, Keith Kachuk, Brendan Shanahan, Brad Hall. Brad Hall, it's it's hard to stand out when just like on ice hero well Jeremy Yager too, on ice heroics are the expectation, not the exception, right? Exactly. And that ninety two ninety three season and if you ever for anybody who's listening to this, if you wanna go and find a year where so many players had a hundred points and a lot of players had fifty goals, look at that year. Because two players hit 76, Timo Solani and Alexander McGillney. Like I said, Mario Lemieux missed 23 games with cancer and came back to win it. Turgeon had over 130 points. And then Dale Hunter hit him from behind in the playoffs to break his shoulder. So you have these superstars around who are putting these crazy, crazy numbers. And I feel that for a guy who was not the loudest guy in the world, kind of a more soft-spoken French-Canadian guy was really lost in the shuffle in all of it. Yeah, it's just absolutely it's Yeah, just look at this now. It's like Mario Mew, 160. Pat LaFontaine, 148. Adam Oates, 142. Stevie Y, 137. Yeah, like, you get to Ron Francis at 100 at 21. That's 21 players who had at least 100 points. Yeah. Like, that's fucked. Oh, it's insane. Like, it's insane. And it's absolutely insane, especially when maybe nowadays it's not so insane when you look back because, hey, the goalies aren't that great. But you put up 100-plus points in a season, regardless of what era you played in, that's still a big accomplishment. Like, just six years ago in 2014, Jamie Benn won the Art Ross and he had 85 points. Yeah. What a world. But I guess it's the thing is, it's like not only have the goalies gotten better, but the defense has gotten better too. And I think teams are like, just the quality of NHL players has become a lot better. It has, but also when and we were talking about McGillney and Turgeon, you know, you look at those. I think if you look at the late '80s Sabers teams, when you look at some of the players they had on there who are not in the Hall of Fame, like the McGillneys, like the Turgeons, but somebody like Pat Lafontaine was in there. And I'm not nothing against LaFontaine. He had fantastic numbers, but I feel that, you know, you have guys who played for those kind of teams that maybe didn't get a lot of recognition, didn't go deep in the playoffs. And, you know, like look at Turgeon, 132 points in that 9-2-3 on a New York Islanders team where, like, without checking the internet, could you name three players off that team at all? No. No. So that's all I gotta say about Pierre Turgeon. I, I know one day he maybe get in, maybe gets in the Hall of Fame, but that's gonna be my pick for the twenty twenty one Hockey and Hall of Fame class, Tim. I think it's a pretty good one too. You know what's actually kind of crazy just to think about? What? Now talking about uh, that Jamie Ben, uh, eighty seven eighty seven point uh, Art Ross. Yeah. There were original six years where the Art Ross player had more points. Yeah. Like, let's just, let's just walk with that for a bit. 
So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make if you just want to head on to a close for another evening. Yeah, let's do it. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M91 Honey Badger and at Great White Gipster, GR8 WATE Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the 2021 Hockey Hall of Fame wish list, shoot us an email thirdlightbooksensecast at gmail.com until next yeah. time guys I am your host Taylor Gibson this has been Tim Jensen go Sens guys